Stupid Hearts Club is yours to enjoy for free wherever you get your podcasts. But if you've fallen deeply in love with the show, or me, even though that's a bit weird because we've never met, then you might want to consider supporting the show via patreon.com forward slash stupid hearts club for about five or a month you can indulge in your sick little fantasy that i am your very own little audio husband friend without ever having to deal with the fact that in real life i leave socks and half drunk glasses of water everywhere either way i'm very happy you're here so please enjoy the show for the 10 pence i'm not going to do much preamble this week just to say thank you for all being really nice last week when i did a bit of a sad episode on the back of some tragic news about a friend of mine you were all really awesome you also um totally proved what i've been thinking which is that um sharing these kind of honest things goes down really well in this community and it feels like it actually literally helps people because they tell me that it does so um, I will always make sure that I do that and that has been a the great learning so far of this podcast so thanks everyone for being absolute sweethearts now um, this week I am getting back on the silly bus a little bit by talking to our little mate, Alistair Griggs. So let's go meet him and see what nonsense he's got ready for us. I'll see you in a bit. I'll see you at the end for the, with a tune. <laughs> Bye. Alistair. Hello. Alistair Alistair you're going to get it in the neck because I have been having to deal with emotions that I don't like feeling and Mm. now it's time to take it all out on Alistair yep you alright with that? yeah yeah very well Um, Mm. I'm just going to let the listeners in on something I won't go into it but I just I warned Alistair I said, I don't know whether you saw the the episode I put out the mm. other day just to kind of semi-explain, like I almost didn't do an episode, and then I thought, well, I'll do an episode about that I'm not, I've not that I'm not doing a funny episode because some dark shit went down, and and then I thought, hey, you know, like, hey, maybe Alistair would like to be uh, 
like I'll just queue up whether he's up for having a bit of a kind of check-in on the touchy-feely side of things, talk about some heavy, dark stuff. Um, and he just said, no, thank you, please just bully me for an hour. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's, that's my disclaimer. I mean, yeah, that's all I know. <laughs> that's all I can understand, really, in this reality, so I wouldn't want to. Um... Oh, listen yeah. to that, did you? Did you hear that? What was that? That was... What was it? That was a... Uh, Lauren's uh, iPad just gave me a BBC breaking news alert. What, and it was... Just... I didn't hear the sound, but was it like... <sighs> really? What's what's going on? Please don't. Please say. Wouldn't it be great if you announced nuclear war? <laughs> it, nothing. Nothing. No moment in my life would be more apt than trying to ring you up to try and have a laugh, and you being the person that tells me that we've all got nine minutes to live. <laughs> oh. I, I I cannot tell you the, the to see the flash, <laughs> and then the f- here we go coming towards you and buildings being blown apart, you cannot deny there would be a, a slight feeling of relief. <laughs> oh, there would be a sigh. You would go, oh, and you'd shut your eyes and you'd just let it take you. Oh, and you would. would be blown up. You'd be blown to atoms. And But then, you I know... don't have to try anymore. Well, no, then there's no more, you know, watching car insurance ads and stuff like that. It's just... Like, <laughs> <laughs> that would be the last thing you think as you yeah. close your eyes. You just think, no more car insurance. No more. Ads. No Wolf. more. F- He's going to He's gone. Things Problem on... solved. Yeah. No more. <laughs> He's right. Yeah. There are no more car insurance ads for 20 miles around. Yeah. <laughs> from this point. Just. Or something oh, like that. Peace. Yeah. Just, well. Yeah. Um, but. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it is bad, but, uh, uh, yeah. I, I, it's okay to admit that, and... Hang on, I can hear a weird buzz. There we go, that was me. It was My, my microphone no. was making some earthy kind of odd buzz, so I'm sorry if that was in the listener's ears. You're just going to have to live with it for three minutes. It's gone now. Mm. Mm. Anyway, um, right, so, like... Yeah, I was talking about some quite dark stuff with actually losing a friend um, uh, over the over the last few days, and so like I, I want to be very sensitive about that issue. But at the same time, I think it's totally still okay to generally talk about, in an ironic, fun way, the very thing you just said, which is that. If if the universe decided to completely take away your choice, mm. there would be a feeling of calm acceptance, possibly. Yeah, I think the the thing would be everyone else. You know, I, I don't know what the statistic would be, but say there was nuclear holocaust. I don't know. There's yeah. like ninety percent of the world would be everyone would be killed, and uh, <laughs> that's the thing which is the comfort because. Right. The problem I, I, you know, no one wants to expire because I think the problem is everyone else gets to go on living. 
Whereas um, if it's all like, hey, we're, we're pretty much all going to get wiped out, it's all like, oh, okay, so no one's sort of um, getting one over on you, basically. <laughs> okay. I just love the tone of how you just said that. Oh, right, okay, how's this going to work? Yeah. Um, so what it's, what it's going to be is that all life forms are going to cease to exist. Okay, all right, so when's this? Yeah, that's in nine yeah. minutes. Yeah. All right, so what do I do, Joyce? Just get, yeah, you can just go outside and watch it, probably get... Get yourself to a vantage point where you you get yeah. a sense of uh, inevitability, but also with a kind of stunning view. Oh right, yeah, okay. <laughs> I thought, thanks for telling me. So I suppose about eight and a half minutes now, is it? Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. I, I, I say all that, but I know I'd just be sort of scrambling under a duvet or something, <laughs> trying to <laughs> yeah, like put anything in front of me. To, that, to that's just... weird because I sort of felt the, I, I had the same image. And it's like, well, what what good yeah. is bed going to do? Me. What? But and yet there is there sort of is nowhere that feels safer than bed, because yeah. it's I guess it's the closest thing you've got to a womb, where you can just go, <laughs> God, just revert, just revert, curl up in a ball. You know, it would. Uh, yeah. yeah, I suppose that's that's kind of an interesting question. Uh, would we be in, you know, poll for the listeners, curl up in a ball in a duvet? Or or stand at a high vantage point in a sort of almost um, the Leonardo DiCaprio, Kate Winslet, Titanic position, welcoming it. Yeah, the thing is, though, I think you you will end up in a ball because even though you'll want to be standing up, Mm. um, no one's going to, like, congratulate you for it. It's not like you're going to win any brownie points at the end. I don't think there'll still be brownie points at the end of this. No no one's going to go, oh, look at that guy. He's been very courageous. It's just, it's uh yeah I think I think anything is um, admissible in that situation. The worst I think the worst thing that could happen there is that you go ah oh, and you assume with a position, and then the last thing that ever goes through your mind is the doubt that you might as well have not assumed the position. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, 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 the embarrassment. Even the now, embarrassment over that. Yeah. Even now, I'm doubting whether I sh- whether I should be doing what I'm doing. Um, uh, do I look a bit stupid? <laughs> <laughs> do I look a bit stupid? <laughs> uh, basically, that's the end of, and I, uh, and I don't want to. I suppose it, uh, I I think this isn't going to be a spoiler for to, for too many people. Um, um, what's that Star Wars film that was like an offshoot? The with. Uh, Oh, Rogue One. Rogue One. Decent yeah. film, to be fair. Yeah, it's good. Decent film with kind of offshoot characters that aren't any of the main ones you used to, in case you haven't seen it, who, uh, and, and the, the story kind of, in a way, it's like if you know Star Wars really well, you kind of already know, but basically some people did a mission that yeah. made the very first Star Wars we, film we ever saw, which is episode four, it... it Rogue One basically is in the sort of weeks or days leading up to the that and it's like the thing that happened so that Princess Leia had those secret plans that she put in R2-D2. If that means anything to you, then you are also a Star Wars nerd. Fair enough. But um, it's a pretty good movie. But there is mm. there is um, it's interesting because it's you know it's a it's a Disney well not Disney well, I suppose it is a Disney film it's it's a the Disney owned Star Wars now and they they made that story and uh, it it features uh, an act of selfless um, you know sacrifice mm. 
in it, which in which actually does have that image that we just described of like knowing that the only way you could get the thing to happen is to do the thing that's gonna absolutely definitely end you. And there's been characters, hasn't there? There's been there's been characters in films before that have that have done that. It's a bit like going down with the Titanic, and it? it's like the captain. Yeah. But ultimately, mm. you know, that was sort of pointless, wasn't it? Because mm. he, yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, he. But that's the thing. It, but the re, you know, the reason in the film is, is like he knew he couldn't live with himself if he took up a space that could be saving someone else, because that's the the very yeah. essence of being the captain of a ship. He probably could though if he had done it. <laughs> I mean, how many people would know he was the captain? That's what I'd have been thinking. I think lose the hat and you're fucking off, aren't you? Yeah. And then dye your beard or just shave it off. And you'd feel bad for a, a month, but overall... Well, years ago, there was somewhere in the last, I don't know, fuck, fuck knows how long ago it was, 10 or 20 years, a, a ferry sort of sank, didn't it? And the Italian... That was it. The Italian, um, what's he called it? Captain fucking did a runner and was found in a taxi. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, this is great because this gives me an opportunity to read out the thing that I sent you. And this is absolutely, I have no agenda here in terms of, this is a coincidence because it's about Italians. Yes. Um, that was an Italian captain. I've I've got absolute. I don't even really know any cliches or or racist stuff about Italy, uh, other than the sort of Dolmio based sort of Mamma Mia kind of patronising <laughs> stuff. Um, but because I I one of the things I have next next to my bed for like reading time before I fall asleep, very slowly being in through Richard Burton's diaries, which are very fucking funny unintentionally funny because he's just got he's got a he's got a kind of complex intellectual sometimes he's like a real humanist but also it's kind of like you know fucking his views are like 40 50 years old and he's a <laughs> uh, a rich white welsh man who used to be a miner who's now an actor trying to reconcile all all his uh his gritty background with his with his um you know with his uh stature anyway occasionally i it makes me laugh so much that i screen grab the page i'm reading <laughs> because usually when he said something just really fucking cruel and i screen grabbed the following page which i'm going to read out now in a loose approximation of richard burton's voice I sent this to Alistair because it makes me laugh when people are horrible and I knew it would make him laugh. (laughs) So here's Richard Burton's view of Italians. I once saw a group of teenage Italians set on a lone colleague and finally get him on the ground. When he was down, he put one hand over his face and one over his testicles and submitted. (laughs) (laughs) The others then proceeded to kick, but the kicks were unbelievably ineffective as they took turns to do running kicks at him. But in their anxiety, the case 
sorry, in their in their anxiety, in case the man who was down happened to grab an ankle and pull one of them down with him, they kicked from as far away as possible so that they couldn't get any purchase, <laughs> comma, any power into the kicks. This was, or is, or rather outside a bar somewhere in Rome many years ago. And I was with Johnny Sullivan and a lot of other stuntmen who would have been who would have enjoyed joining in, but the whole thing was so balletic and coy that all we could do was laugh. <laughs> of course, the stories of Italian cowardice are legion. They even tell them against themselves. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, I suppose he pulls that round. He's like sort of trying to... He tries to just, and it's his own private diary that, by the way. So he he didn't write mm. that for anyone else. He just amusing himself before he goes to bed one night, half cut, <laughs> just uh, having a little smile to himself about what he deems to be the very well known trait of Italian cowardice. Now, I don't know. I guess there were those types of uh, reputations were flying around after the Second World War a bit, weren't they? Mm, yeah. It's the one when he when he's set upon a colleague. Beautiful that is. <laughs> and it, it, it's the image it, as well of just, of uh, yeah of of some people sort of trying to kick someone, but in such a way that no one can catch their leg. Yeah, it it reminds me it's, of. Um, isn't there? Isn't it in? Uh, have you ever seen the film The Big Lebowski? Mm, and yeah. there's a bit in that where um, three people try. They're also trying to like whatever snatch the money or whatever it is that's going on and there's like a really crap gang and they are they're a german techno group called autobahn and they try and do a violent act but they do it really badly and uh i think that's from that film that's just an image i've got in my head could be wrong just him painting that scene as well it, it it's um there's something charming about old actors talking about yeah their stories and it's usually outside like it's like in some sort of european bar isn't it <laughs> it's exactly. like a, it reminds me of um my friend's uncle is anthony andrews who was the actor in brideshead revisited okay um and and he has a photo of like he's in a spanish villa with michael Caine and sean connery mm-hmm. and it's sort of like that that vibe of not to get like a, I don't want to be like, um, oh, the old days were amazing, but there's something that they're incredibly famous, and it's always them sort of seen in that backdrop of being generally pissed in a <laughs> absolutely in a European sun place where no one's really bothering them, and it's like three a.m. and they're just out steaming, st- yeah, with like their shirts slightly off and yeah, all yeah. that, and it's I can just see Dappled Richard Burton there. With the crew, yeah, just him going, ah, mm. ah, ah, watching a man being, you know, attacked. Attacked, but also it's that view as well as of, like, the superiority of, of the British, yeah. which is interesting because he he talks all the way through his diaries absolutely as a Welshman. Mm. But also, as soon as he's talking about anyone who's not British... He immediately just sounds like the typical arrogant English colonial, you know, rolling their eyes that everyone else isn't made of the same stuff as us. And it's yeah. like, well, come on. 
But yeah, he's if anyone's uh looking for an amusing you know, uh an amusing read especially in the times that we live in. I I'm particularly enjoying because we live in the yeah. times that we live in and everyone well lots of people are having to be careful about what they say and um you know like to read the the, the actual thoughts from a highly successful <laughs> white man in the 50s or 60s who's just you know his whole universe is in you know is in an order that he assumes will be like that way forever uh, it's yeah. just hilarious how 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 much things have changed but the ar- the arrogance and yeah i mean it is really it is a fucking it's full of entitlement if you like but it's fucking funny for it you know oh, that's a brilliant yeah the fact that it's unvarnished you see nowadays it would have to give you know the everyone be involved if he's publishing a memoir in terms of all oh, better not laying it out as you say mm. for his own amusement or just to remind him of things yeah, some, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's weird. I mean, is obviously, it, people can. He, again, he was he was being. He thought when he was writing it that he was that they were private diaries, but mm. at the same time, he he occasionally makes a reference to how he has got a bit of a frustrated writer in him, but he kind of knows that this is probably all he'll ever write. But you know, it is like a bit of a a legendary book. Um, the collection, you know, and 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 actually, like his diaries, it is like what what they could find of his diaries, but like throughout his life. So like, it starts really young. So it's kind of like in the in the in the valleys, if you like, you know, in the, mm. in the where he where he grew up, onto the early years of theatre, and then becoming well known and whatever. And it generally his principles are really good, and he is a humanitarian, and abhors Nazism and racism yeah. and things like that out loud but obviously he's also of his time so like a few pages on he will say something like appalling <laughs> and yet you know what he thinks his principles are because you've read them a few pages back and yeah you know you good good impression by the way oh thanks it was good yeah i i've, I've yeah I've, i like i liked it i like burton not that i'd sort of like think of it as a proper impression but i i kind of i like um I wonder if there'd be uh it'd make quite a good section just to occasionally read some some of his funny bits out of uh Yeah. I've screen grabbed quite a few bits but I haven't properly kept an eye on it. What I wish I'd done is um sort of post it note little little corner of a post it note on it and any good page so you can just like <laughs> grab it and read one out. But uh yeah, it's a good read. It's a good paper. Yeah. Um, and actually, and I think I have sort of mentioned this before, but I've got a bit of a fascination with Burton and Taylor, mm. probably because of that. I think, but I, you know, like I was already slightly intrigued. It was just like they're like proper stars, like they are the epitome yeah. of what it is that we're uh, rolling our eyes about when we can't believe that feckless reality tv nobodies end up taking up column inches because the but burton and taylor are sort of like the original reason for celebrity gossip but 
but but they were unquestionably two of the finest screen actors that ever lived. So that's like that was the reason that people, you know, they were attractive and all the rest of it, and and, and very rich. And people have always liked that kind of like glimpse into another lifestyle and all the rest of it. But mm. but that you know it harks back to a time where the icons of the era were fucking scintillating and interesting and actually mm. hearing hearing a personal account of his life he it's like he he didn't enjoy a single fucking moment of making films and stuff like that like he's just absolutely as wary and as just he just thinks the whole thing's shallow and pathetic but he's a huge sort of um intellectual and he can't. It's like he can't reconcile. I guess that with with the great great actors, they ended up being defined by whether they ended up being King Lear, you know, on stage, mm. and nailed it, you know, like so. Like he, as you go through the book, he occasionally will bring it up again, almost like there's like three people in the whole universe that he actually rates as good actors, and he'll and he'll name them. And and he he's got a lot of respect for Taylor as well. Like she definitely, absolutely knew what to do on screen and all the rest of it. So it's kind of interesting reading reading it from that point of view. But yeah, um, have you have you ever? Um, is there anyone you know that that intrigues you on that level? Like big, you know, very well known figures who you've always wanted to know what really makes them tick and. I've got into their biography or whatever. I've not read the biography, but I do really like um, uh, Clint Eastwood of mm. of that kind of era. So yeah, there's a connection there with with Burton, obviously. Um, mm. But because just that's interesting, his choices that he was making when he was younger and stuff, and even in modern day. Right. And I like him in the eighties and nineties, where he's sort of. He's becoming an old man. That's the thing with him. He's been an old man for mm. decades. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, that's quite comforting, actually. Went just just to just to say because we have been on the subject of mortality and death and things like that recently. Mm. I've got to say because it's it's, in, it's increased my anxiety about that issue. But one thing that calms it down is the, is when you just see old people because you go, oh, oh yeah, you know, there's still a chance that like I might just end up being one of them. Yeah. You know, fucking yeah. Anyway, go on. No, I'm just saying. It, I, I've always found him fascinating. I, I quite like westerns, and um, yeah, he's just he doesn't he doesn't do a lot. I mean, he's pure presence. Yeah. He's also a really great actor. He just knows. I think he's just. I think he's a very intelligent man, and it's no wonder he becomes a director because he just knows sort of what looks good on screen, in terms of almost the human face. It's like he knows what to do. You can see and what he's no, thinking. You can see what he can't be bothered with. Yeah, just he, in a. He, he's not um, in a squint. Yeah, he he does it all, and whereas uh, maybe Burton gets down in the kind of mud with it, he he's just he's aloof, but always interesting. I just think it's it's just so unique. Um, yeah, you know, I think he's he's really good. Yeah, but, I'd agree. Uh, I'd agree with that. I. Uh, I like a spaghetti western as well, and although he's not 
I don't think he, no, he's not in it. I love I love Once Upon a Time in the West. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I really got it when I watched it. Like, and I actually got into it from liking the music, and generally I'd been listening to Morricone a lot. So yeah. then I thought, seeing as I love this music, I should watch the movies that this music's from. And I I watched Once Upon a Time in the West, which is um, what's he called? Fucking Charles Bronson, but young. Yeah. But you say young, but he still looks like interesting, dappled, pockmark, brooding, which is actually the same sort of face that Burton had, actually, which is like rough around the edges. But absolutely aloofness. I mean, fuck knows why I've... How how I never ended up realising over the years of being young and trying to pull and be attractive and all the rest of it. Always been like the always been like the jester to try and get attention but it's not that's not what gets attention it's fucking aloofness mm. drives people crazy i used to try and do that when i was a teenager <laughs> or even into my 20s yeah. i would try to get girls by looking aloof and mysterious but i i just think it came across as just weird i just think i looked I tried to look enigmatic, and by just sort of staring. That's the thing, though, isn't it? There's the rub. The it's like trying to look enigmatic. Yeah. It's like you can't fucking fake it. Yeah, and it was so frustrating. So I'd I'd sort of have uh, my head. I'd cock it at a kind of forty-five degree angle and and stare into the distance, and then expect women to want me. Well, they just didn't. Just, just awful. What a horrible, horrible. It's like. In your head, he's like, where are they? Where are they? Where are they? Come on, come on. Oh, come on. Yeah. That isn't the same as aloofness, is it? No. It's genuinely, this is it. Like, not not that it links to sort of trying to be attractive, but like on a very, very big way, a lot of the work I've been doing internally to try and make myself happier and to have a, a, a more comfortable place in my skin and in the world is about, uh, well, you know, part of the journey is sort of releasing ego and all the rest of it, and therefore being comfortable enough in your own skin that you are not needing anything from the external world to be okay, because you just feel okay inside. So, like, when you haven't got that, when you haven't cracked that, which I haven't, um, or, or which I certainly haven't mastered yet, when I think about what I felt like all the way through those young years of being a young buck and out there, without a doubt, the the desire to attract is the very thing that stops you being attractive. Yeah. You know, it's like literally, and it's yeah. not like no one told us, you know, fucking, it was there, you know, it's been there in all those characters as well, like in all the things we watched, like, I mean, Han Solo is another version of that, isn't he? Yeah. Um, he's just been cool. He's he, been cool, and people people like him for it. They want it. They want it. Indeed. And like the thing is, I do love a conversation. I love going deep, which is fine. But then that casts you in, in a very particular type of a role in life with people, where mm. you almost become. And this is this is something I reckon happened to me, forever. 
is I always become mates with girls because they'll they because I talk to them almost like other girls talk to them. And that's great because it means that you have good friendships and they trust you and you and all the rest of it. But that I'd end up in the you know, it's not apparently it's not a, an acceptable term, but I would friend zone myself if you like mm. by becoming so open and so oversharey and so down for just fucking opening every door and you know because I'm inter- I'm just interested in stuff I like talking about it but mm. and that's fine there's nothing wrong with that but in terms of uh looking interesting to people what you're doing is you're leaving no fucking stone unturned and therefore there's no mystery about you and I don't know yeah I mean, what can you do? No regrets. You what we are, what we are. But there are plenty of regrets. All <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, right, I admit there's loads. There's just there's too many to get through in, the, yeah. in this evening. That would be good, wouldn't it? Should we do an episode on regrets? Oh, just admit them. I regret. I'll tell you what I regret. Right? Mm. I've had a when I was when I was nine years old. When I was nine years old, um, my friends and I were allowed to do a school assembly. Right. We were allowed to host specific stuff straight away. And uh, we were we we were allowed to select the subject matter, and um, we selected uh, video games because we really liked video games. And so we had to sort of do uh, an assembly on video games, and in our heads. We wanted it to be like Games Master. Do you remember Games Master? From I do the indeed. 90s? But of but of course it wasn't. It was just some small boys. We did like a <laughs> quiz, and and then it was kind of like we got the pupils up, and it was like, Who, what's a blue hedgehog called? And it was like, oh, the answer's Sonic. But but the bad part in it, and the part I do regret, is that one of the features we did is that I stood up and performed a rap about oh, video no. games. No, you didn't. And I, I did. And it, and <laughs> I did not see this coming. And uh, I performed it in front of 500 pupils. <laughs> and to this day, I can see, I can see all of them. I can see the whole thing. And, and if I think about it, I still get a kind of chill. I, I remember it happening and everyone watching me. And then it stopped. I finished. And there was a, a bit of applause, but people just looked... They just look confused. Just like that should not have come out of that mouth. Yeah, a rap, but to a beat because you've got no rhythm. There, there was no music. There was no nothing. I think the beat was me clicking my fingers. Um, well, you know, fair it, enough. It was, That's, it uh, was just, uh, but it was like one verse, and then I stopped, and then I, <laughs> I sat down. I realised I misjudged it instantly. That's the thing. Well, you got, did you get to the end of it, or did you just? I, no, I got to. Uh, I, I did. I did get to the end. Early. It, it, it was short, but 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 I was thankful it was short. You know, I think thank God there wasn't any more. Do you not think part of you could think? You know what? That was the job that needed doing, and you did it, and you delivered that, and you fucking did it. So, pat on the back for for like you know guts. Yeah, you're right. I've never thought that. I've always just felt it's probably worth thinking that. <laughs> that I did. I it. like the I, fact yeah. that, like, you specifically, as soon as we said regrets, it just came. It came up like puke. Yeah. Like, that, <laughs> that, that one. That right. Yeah. Um. So, like, on the same tip, 
this is interesting because like obviously I I've always been a bit of a performer, right? But that the back note of being a performer is oh god, I don't want anyone to think that I that to know that I want to be a f- performer. I just want to sort of just cover all bases so that no one thinks that I think I'm fucking cool or anything to just but at the same time I really want to show off. So like that would result in fantasizing about having these moments of effectively doing like what Ferris Bueller does in Ferris Bueller where he ends up jumping up at a like a what's you call it like as the festivals going what not a festival what do you call it a parade yeah, the, yeah. and he gets up and he does he mimes to that's right yeah. to uh, shake it all baby now whatever the song is yeah. twist and shout he does twist and shout and even though he's only miming yeah it's like the whole city is going this kid's great like i would regularly be lost in and probably still am to a degree lost in the possibility of of living that moment and everyone going oh my god you nailed it how amazing yeah. <laughs> but the reality is is also sort of being a bit of a coward that you want to make politically make sure that no one thinks that that you think that but just it's just so weird it's like a a a weird dichotomy that that i guess sort of that's what ego is all about but um so we had a music lesson you know like we all did music lesson it's really dry it's like a music teacher telling you what music is in a really dry way and then suddenly like there was a few lessons where and i don't know if i've told this story before so sorry if i have but there was there was a few music lessons where the teacher got said, right, we're going to go off in groups and you're going to write a song. And we went off in fours. And it was, like, pathetic. It was like, no one, you know, 90% of the kids there had no interest in it and would come back and it was like, they would perform what was like, welcome to the the toy shop. And someone would, like, <laughs> bang three pieces of wood and then there'd be, like, a glockenspiel and then it'd be, you know, like, just anything to make that sort of thir- fill that thirty seconds with anything, but 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 we went away and we wrote like a blues song, <laughs> and my mate, my mate had a little bit on the xylophone bit that actually worked like a little hook, like it was it was actually quite a good bit that I think we nicked from a Terence Trent Darby song. <laughs> it was going do 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 do. <laughs> and it really worked with the song because I think that what it was, he was teaching us the 12 bar blues. Anyway, so I write these bluesy lyrics about a slave, right? <laughs> who who basically wants his boss to stop whipping him and give him, you know, sweet time off and like for him to just be able to be break, like he was dreaming of breaking away or whatever. So I wrote this fucking song and we all got together at the end of the lesson and everyone had to perform their things and it was like, it's a sort of shit version of Jules Holland Lake, where there's like different mm. people in different parts of the studio. We went round the group, and everyone's just doing their like very half-assed, embarrassed, who gives a shit kind of thing, blushing as they were doing it. And then it comes to us, and I fucking sort of like just dug deep and fucking went for it, and sang this fucking bluesy song while while the others played the music. And it, you know, I would fucking look. I'm so gutted I haven't got a recording of it because I bet it would be. It'd sound really fucking funny to hear it now because it obviously it was shit, but 
Yeah. But it was like a good effort. It was like more of an effort than anyone else had made. And yeah. I, you know, like the fucking class went wild and the teacher was so into it that we turned up next week for the lesson and we're like, we're ready to, you know, just tell us about the next thing we're going to learn about. And he's like, right, what I want to do this week is teach you guys about how music is recorded. And to do that, what we're going to do is we're going to record um, whatever our little group was called for in the class, you know, we you know like we're going to record their song it's like what are we <laughs> but the thing is because like the way you record music as i've once showed you when we did that funny video mm. um is when you record music you sort of do it one bit at a time right so he had a little machine like it's called a four track it's a very rudimentary uh recording machine that basically in the old days when you still use tapes amateur musicians would record a demo of a song a four track basically means you can record four different things over yeah. this that tape right do you know what i mean yeah so like you do the, like separately so you yeah. do the drums then you record it then you it, it basically puts the information on different bits of the tape anyway so he made so like they they got him up and we got like a you know someone had to put the rhythm down that was easy, wasn't it? Because they were just stood in front of the class, at the front of the class, just like playing their instrument. And then he was like doing the counting and whatever. Then the next guy came up with his xylophone and was like, do, 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 do. Got that done. Someone else played the keyboard bit. But then I had to go up and fucking sing the bit in front of my class. So like 30 kids. And... The worst thing about it was that, you, well, you do it with headphones on, so the others oh. can't even hear the music. So he made me stand in front of the class with headphones <laughs> on <laughs> and fucking, like, singing my song about the slums. And, um, but, like, I really put my back into it, fucking... And then, but then the worst thing was, so we did it, and... Like I was loving it and hating it, for all the reasons I've already explained. Yeah. Then the next, but then over the next few weeks, every fucking kid in the school is played that fucking tape by the music teachers. <laughs> and the embarrassing bit is that I did a trumpet solo in the middle with my mouth like, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, like, and then so I basically had like a month of school where. Every corridor I walked down, someone would be going, <laughs> like it was a chicken. But like, loads of people were giving me like respect and that, and was like, yeah, fucking heard you think it was all right that. But other people, you know, you know, you're not, you know, you're not going to get away with that, are you? Doing a, a well, yeah. doing a, a, a paltry fucking trumpet solo. Front, oh, fucking, and then. The music teacher wanted me to perform it at the school concert, oh. and I just looked at it, and I really, really, that's, it was like, I see it, like what you just said about regretting that, I regret not doing it, because <laughs> I let, I let, I let my pride and not wanting to attract the wrong attention get, get in the way of what would have been like a sort of seminal fucking braving it kind of oh, moment. It could have gone another way. It could have gone another gone, way. He could have gone, right, oh, listen, Nico, the, 
the concert was such a hit. We've had we've had interest in a local group. We'd like to do a tour, and then you go on tour. <laughs> the chicken, the chicken kid. So yeah, that's it. And then you're on a bus. It's TV's the chicken kid. <laughs> and you're there, and people are going, yeah, you're on um like a uh, going live or, or the breakfast oh, uh, tis was or all that stuff. Yeah, you're like, on there do you going, remember? Do you remember? Um, do you remember there being a song called? Oh, you're a bit younger than me, but there were some kids like exactly like that, like that did a thing, and then. There was a song called It's Horrible Being In Love When You're Eight and Half. <laughs> I don't know if you ever remember it. No. I might try and find it and put it put it in the comments. It was like, there'd be like a, there was a school that would do like, the music teacher had them doing like a big choir thing and then that thing would get released. And it'd be like, like one of them was Happy Birthday Mom to the Queen. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> and it came out as a single and was like number one. Oh. But, uh... But yeah, there was this song called "It's Horrible Being in Love When You're Eight and a Half," that was obviously started as just some like little thing at school, uh-huh. but it had sort of a sweetness to it that that meant some yeah like exactly what you just said. Some local impresarios come in and gone, "I'm gonna make this school famous," <laughs> and then poor kids, the poor kids that fucking had to be in that like blushings wearing their school uniforms singing it. <laughs> <laughs> on telly for like a month. It's. I just like to think of you, the the teacher saying, "Look, will you do the concert?" And then you just sort of shaking your head and and going, "Look, it's gone as far as it can go." Right, <laughs> yeah, Mister Jones, I respect you. He yeah. actually he actually asked me to come and see him before school, so it was like a meeting. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a meeting with and a record exec. And he, look. he he spins around, yeah, in his chair and he's strumming a guitar himself. <laughs> And he goes, look, you're good, but you can go, you can go further like that. And, and in a know. way, it was probably his chance to make a thing happen. That's like this might be my way into managing. <laughs> well, he did. He saw the bands on Tiswas, and he went, "This could be us." <laughs> and then, if you don't, Saint Winifred's, like twenty five years later. You had been on the lineup on Buzzcocks. You know, I think that's what you would have been. You'd been like, right, and it would be like some. They have to, you know. But that's one precisely of our, um, the reason why I made the right decision. Exactly. You'd be. There. <laughs> I think that's brilliant. Yeah. That's. It's that's, sweet though, isn't it? Those memories are great because it's it, it you you know we think that uh, you know like being a grown up and trying to live through this life it's like fucking hell what next. Yeah, and you and you can't believe how serious and how not funny most of life is. So that's really a pain in the ass. But the fact is, every age you've ever been, something trivial was just as gut wrenching. Yeah, and actually, that's why, like, as much as I fall out with it sometimes, writing is a really is a really brilliant thing for your own mind because mm. processing processing things through the lens of time you know like after the event and years afterwards and going back and thinking about what you felt like about certain things and you know and even not just autobiographical but when you're writing characters think it put, putting yourself in in someone's shoes and mm. thinking about the things that people worry about that Actually, is the the bit of the bit of the pilot light that I, that doesn't ever seem to go out when I you know when I'm 
been disillusioned about my career or whatever, I never lose that intrigue in just what an ordinary person might be secretly really fucking wishing. Mm. You know, I just still think that that is worth writing and worth reading. Mm. When it's done right, you know, it's just fucking That's great. That's very true. When it's done right, it's so fucking good. So I mentioned that George Saunders, who's, uh, who, whose book on short story writing I've been reading, his his short story collection, Pastoralia, has got oh, yeah. some stuff in it that has... It remains, it still remains, the, the, the thing with the biggest flashing light over it, saying you want to try and be like this guy. Like, I don't know, it's just this story he writes about this barber in a little crap barber shop who is is um if I'm getting it right, it's like I won't tell the whole story, but he basically he's got inside the head of this barber who's got fuck all going on in his life and he makes mm. you fucking you really yearn for him by just telling <laughs> you the events over a over a couple of weeks where he's trying to get the balls together to ask a woman out, I think at like a speed awareness course or something like that, right? <laughs> so he paints a bit of a picture of this guy's life where you hear his, his daily work is, is really boring and um he lives and then he goes home and he lives with his mum and his mum's awful to him and he's always telling him that he'll be nothing and all the rest of it. And then he's going along to his speed awareness course like having, you know, been fined for speeding or whatever and he says something out loud in that room and they all laugh but the internal dialogue that he has after that moment where he's just thinking oh my god like I've just made these people laugh and he feels really alive and maybe mum's wrong about me and <laughs> all that stuff like fuck me that the writing I love that that's like real it's proper, to me that's proper character writing yeah in a way that, obviously, like, if you're doing screenwriting and things get brought to life via direction and actors and all the rest of it, that can be brilliant. That totally can be brilliant. But I really like really hearing... I really love hearing internal dialogue in, in prose as well. Just... Yeah, mm. there's just something mm. about it that, that that has sort of inspired some ideas I've got for some short stories that... I hopefully will have a go at. Yeah. Have you? Have you? Um, you know, is is there a? Do you know what your sort of uh, killer fucking writing projects would be? Oh God, no! And I is, really wrestle with that. Yeah. My my problem is, I. Too quickly. You do what too quickly? Sorry, the sound went. I, I, oh, I fall. I fall out of love with things mm. too quickly, and 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 so there's a, a lack of commitment. Mm. Um, maybe I don't have. I maybe I've got confidence issues. Yeah, I think, with it, and and I kind of go, oh, I don't, oh, no, I don't know, and and so I kind of just. Yeah, it's pretty hard to be bloody minded about something so long, isn't it? Like, yeah, that's why I, I like the idea of doing short stories. You see, because yeah. because you're not 
it's like you're not saying finish this fucking huge thing and, and hold a whole book together and all the rest of it I think in the process of doing some short stories you'd possibly learn that there's not that much to be scared of because you might get a thirst for it you know what I mean mm. um, yeah completely and I think it's I think it's very appealing um, and it's was probably one of the first things I did uh, but I um, I sort of moved as, as you did maybe into into screenwriting and then you know the first things I was doing was sketches so that probably again ties up with what you're saying because they were yeah it's kind of easy and then it ends and you've done it yeah and it was like here's a small reality I've created um, which lasts two to three minutes and and then it and then these people these characters then die uh, after that um, most of the time and Mm. Yeah, that's my thing. It's so you saying that before because obviously, like when it when it comes to like while we were doing sketch, when we were doing sketch, is because when you're new, that's all you were sort of that's the bone that gets thrown to you, right? Mm. So are you saying that before that you were probably tink- tinkering with ideas that were bigger, but then the industry went, yeah, well, sorry, but you have to start with these crumbs. Yeah, probably. I mean, it yeah. was for me, it was quite haphazard because I just. Uh, I didn't even mean to do sketch writing. It, I'd never really done it, and Same. I heard that um, I heard that Mitchell and Webb were looking for uh, sketches for their radio show, and and I was part of a sketch group at the time, and I was writing some sketches, and and but not really knowing what I was doing. Yeah. Kind of going, I I think this is okay, okay, and then mm-hmm. I wrote these Mitchell and Webb things, and and it was like, hey, yeah, we want them. Um, was that radio or telly? That was radio. Brilliant. They were really and, good on the radio, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, really it was good. good. And it was like, oh wow. And um, and then I was sort of off. It was sort of like, oh right. So this is this is what I'm doing, I guess. Uh, so I guess I knew. I think naturally, and I knew that mm. you know, talent-wise, that you, I could do it. Yeah. As in how it should be, you kind of just know if you can write. You just know that all right, and well, then this uh, bit, and then well, you, you do. Know. But it, I think you only you only really truly know once you've handed some stuff in and they've said, yeah, that worked. So now you yeah. go, oh fucking great. So like now I think I know how to do that. Yeah. And then you apply similar rules to each one that comes up, and you yeah, you know, a bit basically a beginning, a middle, and an end, and you yeah. know, you're off, aren't you? You know. Um, I love and sketch I writing. Being... I fucking loved yeah. it. I really did. It might might not have been. No, I think I was pretty grateful for it at the time. It just it just got it just like you obviously thought you were supposed to progress on to other stuff, but no, I, I think in its own right, I love sketch writing. Yeah, for me, I I did love it, but then what happened for me is I think I got a bit too um, worried about. The, the pressure and I um got a thing I, I said I've got sketchitis I kind of called it that in my head right. uh, where I was sort of trying to see sketches and everything oh, it's yeah, like yeah, I, yeah. you know oh, yeah, it, 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 I was going kind of going around going oh is that thing is that, is that thing? one is, maybe that's one oh god is that thing I'm doing and I it would now. force stuff and I'd force stuff and I'd, I was remember at one point I was writing like lots but they were just like I knew they weren't right, and oh, it was horrible. And, well, and yeah, I don't yeah, know. I've not done it in ages now. 
Yeah, there's a certain amount of like in those years, if you're working on a bunch of different sketch shows, when someone said to you, right, great, we're starting again, can you come back with a load of sketch ideas? That bit's quite scary. Because that's the bit when you go, you feel as if you've looked everywhere in your mind. So, yeah, I mean, I'm carrying on. uh... Yeah, you know, cracking, like, so whatever, third series of Armstrong and Miller, walking around again trying to think of two things that suit those two particular geezers like as you know like leaning into their sort of poshness and all the rest of it yeah it was definitely it was a tough challenge that but fun when it worked yeah well i had a that was i i sort of marked that up um golden boy on that show uh in i think it was the second series Mm -hmm. that i was writing on it and I was the young, how old was it? I was like 25, 26. Right. And, um, and I was doing this good stuff and people were like, oh, great. And it was like my life, right? Yeah. It like defined me, mm-hmm. the fact that I was writing on that show. Yeah. And then uh, the series three comes along. And so I met you and stuff more. I knew you and other stuff. But then so series mm-hmm. three comes along and then I get an upfront commission. Right, yeah to do to write some more ideas mm. and I felt and even in during series two I, I felt in the back of my mind a fear going uh you, you're gonna you're not gonna have anything you're gonna run out you, you, you're gonna mark this oh, up God. you you know that the well it was like the well's running dry oh, and God. um yeah it got the it got the better of me really and so yeah and it was it it it, at the time, it devastated me. Well, what when it, it got? The, how did it get at, the better of you? Did you not get anything on? No, right, nothing. And I had. I've had that though. That we at the same time as oh. that was happening. I did all right on Armstrong and Miller, but then we got a chance for Harry yeah. and Paul, and we really got on with them. Went in yeah. and had a brainstorm with them. Went away, wrote up loads of ideas, but they weren't quite right. I knew they weren't right, mm. and I knew that the thing that wasn't right about them. It's because David and I wrote really well together writing sketches, but Harry and Paul's a character show more than a sketch show. Mm. And I knew that what we handed in would would make good yeah. sketches, but probably on another yeah. show. Yeah. And they didn't go for the stuff because they were too sketchy. I was a bit gutted yeah. with that one, but, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I can understand well, the, what the, you're the saying. Thing. Yeah, it was the fact that because I'd done... It, it was like a, it was like the the second series, and uh, you know, going to like the the parties and stuff, and yeah, yeah. and pitching and and like oh laughing and mm-hmm. being like oh Ali that's and great those, Ali, yeah those great. Shit, those nights where they did the tryouts exactly, and I felt like because I was even sort of mentioned in an interview oh, yeah. that they gave they didn't name <laughs> me but I I thought oh I think he's referring to me like, oh God Xander did and so and then series three is building up. Yeah, and I just, I, I had, I wrote some good stuff, but it just wasn't. I just knew it wasn't happening, and some of them went well, but then they said, "Oh, we've had to not do it for like budget reasons," and then, and then that was it, and uh, and then I disappeared, and I felt uh, it was one of the probably hardest parts really? of my career, and because I was so young, and it was also a terrible year, because like. So I got a no from that, and I think it was partly caused by. So I had all this pressure. My mum 
was very unwell at the time. She's okay now, but so I had bad news from home. So that I think that was affecting my brain a bit. Yeah. And um, I thought it was like the end. But right. what I then realised now is that gave a shit <laughs> in the sense I was the only one who really gave a shit because even though I didn't then get stuff on I thought it was like the end of my career and I certainly thought well I'll never work at Hattrick again right. then yeah, yeah, yeah. about a year or so later yeah. I, I was writing on yeah. some for years and I realised I just went oh no one they just sort of don't care and it was yeah. and then i did other yeah. sketch shows well it's as not well, don't care like, in a kind of apathetic yeah. way it's more just sort of uh it, it wasn't someone saying this guy's fucking finished yeah no, that, that isn't what happens and actually it's probably worth worth remembering that because we're all writers that i know including us two will when we ring up and go how's it going is there anything and you just sort of go oh. and, yeah. and and the the main thrust of what people are struggling with is do I still exist here? Like, is this mm. still like? And I'm I'm not having a good time of that at the moment, and it, it doesn't exactly. really add up because, you know, I've I've had I've had work on, so like it's know, not like yeah. it's gone away, but it's just weird. And I actually, remember, yeah, go on, sorry, so, sorry, I remember being really jealous of you. Quite rightly, because quite rightly, yeah, it was, it was. <laughs> because um. You won't ever, you won't remember this again because you made me do. I remember, uh, I, because of I was so worried about like, oh, I can't really think of things or are they my ideas good? I don't know if they are. I was then like overworking, right? So I was just mm. like constantly going, oh, sketch, yeah, that, that, that. And I um, went in for a meeting and it, it wasn't great. And you were there as well with David, and you hadn't done. Oh God! God, we've not thought of anything. We're, we're, we're almost going to wing it. And then afterwards, I heard from you. Yeah, yeah, they like this one. We had this one, and I was like, no. And then I heard you. You, you did this. Had this long-running character thing on it, and I was in my mind. I was going, oh, why can't I? Oh, why? It was horrible. I felt it's just all doubts, so alone. It? It's just fucking doubts. So stupid. It was, it's so never, stupid. You know what? It's weird. I've never told anyone this mm-hmm. as well. And oh, this is actually going to be the end because someone's going to hear this and go, oh, look, look at him. He's weak and he's finished. But no, it was a real... It was uh, It was horrible. I, cause I, was I, now, so... I must say, I now regret uh, telling everyone not to commission anything off you because um, I'd heard a rumour that... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I won't say what it is, but let's just say it went around in the entertainment world very quickly, <laughs> and you didn't get any work. And then I told everyone that was only joking, and they all went, oh, and then we all laughed and said, "Yeah, he's all right. Get him, get him back in." <laughs> just, I just, I just swept you off the table for a few months with yeah. vile gamesmanship. No, I didn't. Mm. No, I don't know. I don't know why those things happen. It's never. I don't think it's ever personal, is it? It's just like yeah. You've got to remember in that situation. There's loads of people throwing things into a pot. Someone's just fucking picking it, 
And that's it. There are some ideas, though, I wrote, which I do think are good. And there's one sketch, and I'd love to make it in the future, which is, oh, I better not say it, but it's right. like, yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter, but it was sort of like... Give us a hint. Um, us a hint. A guy, uh, well, it's like... It's similar to your um, yeah. recurring nightmare sketch. Oh, yeah. That was that was good. Yeah. But, um... Yeah, it's yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's a, it's a shame, isn't it? Because like, yeah, I mean, it's a natural progression away from it. And you're right to say, back then, after a few years of trying to pitch sketches, your fucking brain was a bit empty. Yeah, but I love I love a well done sketch show, and I've seen loads of them get made over the years. Like pilots of trying to get them going. There's not been many sketch shows that have that have. They've gone a bit out of favour, but recently on BBC, Lazy Susan, yeah, who were brilliant live. They write brilliant sketches, and no. they're a bit off, off piste. And I found myself really fucking laughing at that. And it was also, I lo- what I like about it, apart from them just being funny, is that the sketch would. All, all, almost all their sketches go off on a bit of a tangent that I wasn't expecting, so I was pretty impressed with that. I found them oh, very, yeah. very funny. Um, but yeah, that generally it's, it feels a shame that that's not uh, a medium where it just feels like it's part of the British furniture. There should be two or three fucking sketch shows happening, you know, yeah. so that we all get to see who the new people are. I don't know. Still plenty to go and see on the live scene. I'm a bit out of touch with it, to be fair. I don't know who mm. the last yeah, me the last the last bunch of people where I was kind of taking notice is all the people I'd sort of be friends with, like Cardinal Burns and uh well I say friends with or I know them to say hello to, like Cardinal Burns are good mates of mine, but all the the rest of that gang, like Tash yeah. and Ellie and Jamie Demetriou and all sorts of people like that. Like they still do really fucking good shit. Mm. But yeah, golden era. Um, I don't know. Like it's it's where what? Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. Hang on. Pause. Right. Shut up and stop moaning about your stupid failed career. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! It really took me a lot of. I, 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 you do not understand the worry I was feeling as I was telling that. I was going, "No, I'm going to be brave. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be vulnerable, and I'm going to express it." Yeah. And now, I'm not going to get to bed right because I'm just going to be worried about that. Yeah, it's out there now. Yeah, it's out there, and I can't take it back. The crack in your porcelain has been shown. <laughs> no, but right, okay. I'll I'll be bloody vulnerable then. Yeah, go on. Just in the spirit of joining in, I I absolutely, at the moment, just can't fucking, I can't see ahead at all. I can't fucking see ahead, and I've got various ideas that I think are probably all right and are worth pitching, and that are okay. And I've got some things I'd like to write that are more like short story, book, da da da, whatever. But I'm I'm almost in a state of I'm I'm like frozen, a bit frozen at the moment. Yes, not knowing quite where it's almost like 
it's trying to work out what's worth planting in the ground because it's it, it's not you know it isn't all going to happen or most of it won't happen yeah. and the whole point that how this industry works is that you plant lots of seeds and then you're just grateful for whichever one's come up and that's what you're doing total it's pretty basic should have my head around it by now but for some reason i haven't got my head around it at the moment and i'm just a little bit like but actually what i would say is when you're in that state if you ever get into that state again and i would say this to 26 year old worried Alistair and mm. current Alistair and current me is the the only sensible thing you can actually do when you're in that mood is realise that your brain's trying to sabotage you and then just look at it like alright oh, I just need to ignore my head at the moment there's something, there's something going on I'm a bit for whatever reason like you had other stuff going on mm. I've literally been saying that to myself today I actually stopped got off my bike and sent myself an encouraging email. <laughs> I just, I just, <laughs> I got off my bike near a field, round my way, which I, it was like a clear my head, mental healthy kind of like vibe where I went for a cycle anyway. But I've been feeling really sort of anxious and about various things. I just had this little moment where I thought I really need to. It's that bit I've been saying about where you sort of split off from yourself, from the negative bit of yourself, the positive, grown-up, capable bit of yourself, takes charge and then says something to the vulnerable child self. And it just I just had the thoughts in my head. I thought, it's just doing my head in. So I just got off my bike, leaned against a, a gate, and typed out this fucking quite encouraging, slightly hippie email, and then actually sent it. Now, knowing I'd sent it, I then press refresh on my inbox and there it was. So I read it and it sort of worked. <laughs> like, and I sort of went, oh, cheers. Oh, that's really nice of you to say that. Because, you know, as mental as that sounds, it's like, it's just a reminder that your thoughts, your negative thoughts, they are not you. They are just a thing that's going on in you at the moment. And there's another bit of you that can rationalize. It's sort of like, Effectively, I think what I just described there is a bit like how CBT would work. Mm. You know, cognitive behavioural therapy. So it's fucking not easy to keep these doubts at bay. But it is worth thinking about how you can learn things like that so that in those moments you don't become too... Because you, you know that, like you said, after that happened you ended up doing a load of other work. It was like, yeah. therefore, that is like, you know, if this was like a scientific equation, that proved that that worry that you did was a waste of energy. Yeah. And wasn't true. You know, like, that's definitely how, yeah, the CBT sort of side of... And it and it's amazing because there was another a writer I knew who um, I've not seen him or spoke to him in years, um, but he he was he's been quite successful. He, he's worked with like um, Armando Iannucci and people like that, mm -hmm. and um, he's a really nice guy. And uh, he said uh, around the time of Armstrong and Miller, like, and to me that was like my the big badge, yeah, which I wore. Like it was like the, the best thing I've done. It's the best thing ever. I'm I'm really proud of it inside. And um, he he sort of said to me, he went, he says, oh yeah, he says, um, I had a meeting with them about. 
doing some sketches, but uh, like, I just didn't fancy it. Like the, the money was rubbish, and I just was like, no. And I couldn't believe he he turned them down, and I couldn't believe what that that, that, that another human would do that. And but now I just realised for him it was just sort of he just wasn't that bothered, mm-hmm. and in a way he's he went on to better things. And I thought, well, there's a kind of lesson there. He was just. He, he wasn't that fast. Also, I've got it's to just, say, not that anyone know, needs to know the ins and outs of it, but the way that things are contracted and paid and whatever, I mean, that was actually paid reasonably fucking well. Yeah. And, and no, you know, like the structure of how deals were done for sketch shows at the time was still quite generous. And then it's become not as tighter well. and tighter and tighter over the years yeah. That's a, you know another the one little stuff. bit of trivia to go back the one which was incredible good good mm. incredibly good was um you did it as well uh, the kevin bishop show right yeah yeah that was i remember good, that right? was like uh they it was big chunks and then you get the review uh right yeah yeah Apple television those were the bloody off. days yeah and it was like this is amazing yeah, I mean, and it was good fun show to work on because it was a bit, you know, it was obviously a bit juvenile, but I really enjoyed it. It was fun, yeah. It was, yeah, it, it was, was quite throwaway ideas, yeah. but like short and sharp and funny. Like, yeah, yeah. it was all right. That. Oh, well, Alistair. Uh, listen to us. We like to, like, yeah. I worked for uh, back in the day. We were doing the two Ronnies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we. Uh, <laughs> this is Gordon and Simpson. Yeah, you want to? <laughs> yeah. But you know, it they are they are good memories. Mm. I just don't know if there's gonna be any more of them. <laughs> That's all. And on that bombshell on that negative tired note Yeah. I will say to you and me and to everyone else you know, like not every day is the best bit, but You've got to remember sometimes all the bits and pieces you've done that are good and absolutely don't start thinking that there won't be any more good bits because there fucking always are. There's always something coming down the pipe that you're not aware of and you waste your time being a big negative Nora and then, like, you end up doing something that, you know, is fun again. Or not. That's very true. (laughs) No, but it's true. That's the thing, yeah. Yeah, you say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all going to we'll come out in the wash. You know. Yeah. Right, well, I am off to eat a big bowl of mince. What are you going to do? Um, I'm having a lentil pasta thing. I think Lauren's cooked something. Lentils and pasta? Yeah. Christ. Next time I'm on, remind me to talk about... There's another... I remembered another funny story from my Ken Loach days. <laughs> Come on, that's a setup right there. Yeah. If you've not heard Alistair's Ken Loach story, if you go back over a few episodes ago, it's quite a few weeks ago actually. Yeah. Maybe even months ago. It'll, it I think it mentions it in in the description. So if you see a Griggs episode with a mention of a Ken Loach story in it, and you've not heard that before, I highly recommend you go back and listen to that because it's a fucking beaut. But yeah, definitely bring us bring us the uh, sequel to that story. Sure thing. 
All right, dude. Thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. On whatever I'm calling this now, Stupid Hearts Club. <laughs> and um, I will speak to you again soon. Bye-bye. Yes, that's enough. Yes, it's me again. Wasn't that fun? That was more like it, wasn't it? You know what I mean? Just have a nice chinny wag. Um, yeah, good. Always good to have Griggs on. He's very much part of the Stupid Hearts Club furniture. Although, amusingly, I should tell you that um, as Stupid Hearts Club is my music name. The other week when I had a gig, uh, I sort of we were we were intending to meet at some point in town, and I was like, oh. Um, I'm doing a gig if you want to come along and then I was like oh, what have I done because he doesn't understand music and he won't know what to do so preempting that he might think that I checked with him and and he's he was literally like I don't know what to do <laughs> and I was like just don't come and he went is it alright if I don't <laughs> like he really badly didn't want to be in a situation where I was doing music and he was expected to do, say, or feel anything related to me needing my little ego stroked. He just wouldn't have given a shit and he would have just thought the whole thing was fucking pointless. So I realised that I needed him not to be there, otherwise it might have actually put me off. Um, I think it'd be good for us to get some audio at some point of trying to do a thing like that where we, we, we get audio of like going to a gallery or going to a gig or just doing something where we discuss what's happening. I think that could be quite fun. We'll try and do that at some point. Anyway, that's the end, really, of uh, all of this shizzle. Uh, as I promise to drop some form of musical bit every week, um, I thought I would just drop a little demo I was knocking around on Friday night. Because next Friday, as this this coming Friday, I'm going to a geezer's house to record some song. Well, over the weeks, I'm going to record some songs, songs in his studio, studio line. And I sent him a bunch of really rough demos and said, "You let me know what songs you like, and we'll record them." Because it's always nice getting someone recording a song they already like, because they will maybe bring something to it that you don't even necessarily see in it and they'll see the song their own way so anyway um, yeah there's a, a geezer called Simon who's got his little setup and a little mini kind of label thing going on so I'm going to go and record a song and he chose this one as his favourite so only a little rough demo it'll be interesting to compare and contrast won't it this week's rough garage band thing with whatever we get out of it next week. I'll keep you boasted. So anyway, yeah, end on a tune. This one's, oh yeah, it's a song about, well, it's years old actually. And as is my want, I sometimes um, have moments where I might have like a, an interest in a lady. And if they've got some shit going on and some negative stuff happening, that's usually like manna from heaven for me. I've, I'm like a habitual rescuer. But anyway, I wrote this song about... She's a friend of mine, actually, really, now. But um, someone that I was uh, spent a bit of time with 
and who I felt was talking herself down a little bit too much. And so I wrote a song called Beat It Back Down, which is about beating down your own negative visions of what you're about and what your future holds, which really applies to anyone, doesn't it? You know what I mean? So keep it, keep it, take it or leave it. Here it is, Beat It Back Down, rough demo, ready for being polished next week. Remember, if you love the show in a deep and probably unhealthy way, you can help support it on an ongoing and stalky basis on patreon.com forward slash stupid hearts club. Uh, your choice. 
See you soon, you internet weirdos. I'm, I'm one. <laughs>